ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to BR Football Ranks, where this week we have a very special episode focused on Chelsea, who looks set to appoint Frank Lampard as their new manager. So, I've written a poem, obviously. Sure. See, it's blues for the blues down at Wallham Green, and if you'll allow me to set the scene, I'll tell you the story of an experiment failed, a boat that was sunk before it could sail. See, last year down at the old dog track, Roman formulated a plan of attack, a project manager brought in with a dream to revolutionise his football team. Synthesising silky, sexy Sarri ball from Naples to Chelsea, Regista and all. But as silky and sexy spawned somewhat sideways, the ire was real from a quick-to-irk fan base. Get out of our club, the masses, they cried. And the Italian philosopher gazed back and sighed. But his days were numbered, everyone saw. Battles he could win, but never the war. The Europa League title and third place in the Prem. Sarri leaves a winner, but never one of them. And the champion swooped. He's off to Juve, but not good enough for Chelsea, I hear you say. Old habits die hard down at Chelsea FC. They cry out for passion, for lamps and JT. The old guard they turn to in their time of need. And Frank rushed to Cobham from Derby at speed. With their star player gone and some transfer bans, can Frank reconnect the club and the fans? With Hazard gone, who's going to carry? And can Jorginho survive without Sarri? Could Jody Morris build an academy pipeline? And will the fans have patience? Because these kids will need time. It's all changed down at the old dog track hang on to your hats frank lampard's coming back wow that was actually very very good i mean a bit long thanks yeah so it's bonus so i'd say that's a... it was like a mini version of what stormzy did at glastonbury wasn't it It was like a movie but in like two minutes thanks lads thanks. i appreciate it, it. chelsea the movie by Jeanette. should we start rating the terms out of 10 <laughs> yeah, ra- yeah ranking them. that's actually very good i was probably a nine thanks yeah it's up there boy thank you so we're going to be talking all things chelsea in today's main rankings but there's work to do before we get to the bridge my name is jack collins and as ever i'm flanked by the twin towers of the rank squad. Emir of the exclusive High King of Hopping Clubs, Sir Scoop, Dean Jones. Oh, it's busy at the moment, Jack. It is. And the Lord of Lists, Tsar of Sorting, the rank god, Sam Tai. Hello, Jack. Hello. Dean, do you want to start us off with hot take? Yeah, I'm a bit worried about what's going on at Old Trafford at the moment because it seems to me like their business is all over the place. I'm not sure what the exact plan is here, but they've signed Daniel James, they've signed Aaron Wambasaka. They're also being strongly linked to Sean Longstaff and John McGinn. Mm. Um, Now, they've basically got five weeks to save their season here, Man United, within this transfer window, because right now, as we sit here, their transfer business has been more akin to what we'd expect from like Norwich or Aston Villa or somebody newly promoted or in the lower echelons of the Premier League with the way that they seem to have their mindset. Now, United actually need a Real Madrid-style transformation if they're going to get anywhere close to competing at the top end of the Premier League this season. So maybe they rescue things by signing Harry Maguire and and Bruno Fernandes. Maybe that's what rescues them. But as we sit here right now, I'm just concerned that, never mind building on last season's sixth-placed finish, which wasn't good enough anyway... They're going to struggle to make the top six at this rate. And I just think that that combined with the fact they're giving Marcus Rashford a new contract worth two to three hundred thousand pounds. I mean, I'm just concerned about what's going on there. Look, we've spoken about this before. And Ollie's come in and said he wants young, hungry players because maybe they've overspent on players like Fredge or, you know, on those kind of players before. Alexis. Alexis. Yeah, I you know, They've brought in superstars and it hasn't worked. Is this them just trying something new? And I appreciate it's not they Real are. Madrid. They obviously are. But you can't go from one extreme 
to another. Man United have already been left with layer after layer after layer of, of players left over by the managers that have been there before. They're just trying new things every single summer and they're just not connected in any way. And you can't be signing Sanchez and Pogba and Fred and then also signing Daniel James and Wan-Bissaka and Sean Longstaff and expecting that that's going to somehow come together because it's not. Now, I appreciate they want to get rid of um, players like Sanchez, and but they're struggling to do that. And the fact is they're probably going to still be left with him and need to find a way to make it work. So I just think like... Is this a project that's going to take more than one summer is the point? Yeah, I think they know. I mean, Solskjaer kind of knows that himself, but we don't even know if he's going to get that time. So should he really be taking a risk, if you like, on getting these as his first signings? As I say, maybe things will change. Maybe they have got a couple of big ones in the bag that are going to send out a signal. Maybe Neymar's coming in and we don't know about it. But um, I'm just concerned, especially the Rashford thing. That worries me as well because... He hasn't earned that contract as far as I'm concerned. Marcus Rashford is now earning more than Harry Kane, the England captain, who has taken a long time to prove himself at that level. Marcus Rashford is a very good striker. I'm not convinced that in five years' time he'll still be Man United striker. Don't don't worry about the ins and outs of Marcus Rashford's contract. Uh, that's not your concern. But I do think it's one extreme to the other, to a fault. Um, may I roll out an incredibly niche cross-parallel from the NFL? Absolutely. Uh, when I started watching the NFL, and I'm a Detroit Lions fan, um, I adopted a team that were very, very good, but played right on the edge to a fault and would often stamp on people and get ejected for no reason. And these players, they were not nice players, but they were very effective and very good. We got a new head coach in after that, quite an old man named Jim Caldwell. And uh, he was much more of a fatherly figure. And he went through a draft and he signed only players or drafted only players who were high character, high value players who were all studying medical science or wanted to be a doctor. And they were rubbish, right? <laughs> rubbish. And the Detroit Lions got a hell of a lot worse in that, in that period. Now, eventually, obviously, as it does in the NFL, you arc up and downwards quite quickly. But in a pursuit of a different style of character and in pursuit of a different style of recruitment from going one, to, one extreme to the other, the team got worse. That is my parallel here for Man United. They yeah. are, I understand why they're doing what they're doing but they're holding themselves to ransom by their own strategy. I think one of the points is you can sign young, hungry players who are also exceptionally good. If, you, if they'd gone out this summer yeah. and spent this kind of money on Ruben Neves or Yuri Elements or, or players that have come into the Premier League, showed that they are actually you know, good players of quality and also are still young and hungry enough to fit into that vision, yeah. Yeah. that's one thing. But you know, and I think Danny James is a good so signing. So do I. I'm not, I'm not digging him out especially because he is a good player. It's nice to see someone like that get a chance at Old Trafford it's just like I hope their whole summer isn't kind of hinging on players like this and they they fail to get any big deal does done. he start is the yeah question. exactly does... is Daniel James playing in Man United's how many games is he playing in the first 10 of the season hopefully three or four like just kind of easing him in he's done well if he gets three or four yeah, exactly absolutely right Sam I'm going to move on to your hot take what have you got for me this week sure uh, my hot take is that Danny Olmo has earned himself a big move to a big club this summer and if you don't know who the hell Danny Olmo is that's fair enough I got yeah <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Spain's under 21s have just won the European Championship shock Danny Almo was a key attacker in this side. They beat Germany 2-1 in the final and almost scored the second goal. Uh, he responded to a goalkeeper parrying the ball out and actually chipped it over the goalkeeper as he scrambled for it again. It was absolutely Delightful. beautiful. It was so, so impudent and creative. 
and it, that really sums up Danny Olmo's entire tournament. He played on the right wing for the most part for a, a liquid midfield alongside Danny Ceballos from Real Madrid or maybe someone else soon, Fabian Ruiz from Napoli and Pablo Fornells, who's now just signed for West Ham. He is quality, but so few people are aware of him, including myself. I'm calling him the breakout star of the tournament. He really he jumped onto my radar because he plays for Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia. Okay, he was in the Spanish youth system, but he departed very early in the search for He's football. He's been in Croatia for like five years. Yeah, he? absolutely. If you watched Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League last season and the season before, you'll be aware of him. Fair play, but lots of people don't. I would say he is at the very least as good as Gerard De La Feu is right now, and he will get better. And I'm interested to see where this guy goes because this is the definition of a breakout. His summer has been transformed. Here you go. Here's a young, hungry player who... You know, who who has the sufficient calibre yeah. to play for Manchester United. Are Manchester United interested in him, Shock. All of a sudden, Man United reported <laughs> to be in for him with a £35 million bid. That's fine. Um, That's a good bit of fine, business. It is fine, but probably not even happening. Um, Leverkusen have had eyes on him. Leverkusen have been linked to him. Interestingly, Dortmund w- were linked with him, obviously, as well. And, and to Barcelona. Barcelona, it always seems That's where to he be came through, kind of hovering around. I mean, I would imagine his best if I was to rank where he should go, I mean, Spain is a... I'd say probably go to Spain. <laughs> like, if that's, that's where you've come from. That's, that's where you've built yourself up. Like, go to Spain. That's probably your best chance of success. But which, Not at Barcelona. Which, yeah, which, like, which club? Because he, he made the choice to leave Spain and play for Zagreb. And have him at Betis. Of course he would, yeah. I was thinking <laughs> probably more like Valencia or something. Yeah, Valencia would be um, great. But if you've made the choice to leave Spain and go to Croatia at that age and stick it out, he's obviously very switched on and has first-team football on his horizon, on his mind all the time. Yeah. So Barcelona, Madrid, bad idea. Dortmund, potentially a totally. bad idea at this point. Leverkusen, on the other hand. Well, Leverkusen, because they just play with 16 wingers anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Bundesliga, not a bad idea. I mean, I could see the sense in that. That would be a good stepping stone. I, I don't think that English football would, would probably be the best place for him at a moment like this. Like, enjoy enjoy yourself for a little bit, mate. Yeah, don't come <laughs> Before over. Before you come here and we absolutely batter you and you end up on the scrap heap with everyone else. I, I promise you, Danny, I will not batter you and leave you on the scrap heap. I can't promise for Dean, but I won't do it. He is um, a very, very talented player and one that Man United should be They probably should, so That's they probably won't. Yeah. yeah, probably not. Right, last one as ever came from the poll where we asked you to pick a club for us so that we could talk about their summer now we've just spoken about Bayer Leverkusen they gave us a quote tweet but even that couldn't quite get it over the line for them so that we're going to be talking about the social media sultans themselves AS Roma new manager new squad new start Sam this looks quite tasty no I'm really interested in Roma this season I would I would peg them as a team to watch and some of their players that they've signed as definite players to watch so Paolo Fonseca, the new manager, having just come over from Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, Shakhtar have consistently overachieved, I would say, in the Champions League over the last couple of years. Thanks to Fonseca, thanks to his uh, very canny tactical system, their high ball possession, high press. He has made quite a lot of players into superstars. Uh, We're talking, he made Fred look like a 40, 50 million pound player. Man United bought him off a Fonseca-managed Shakhtar Donetsk. Now, intriguingly... Roma have actually got rid of Costas Manolas uh, this summer in a part exchange swap cash deal uh, for Diawara of mm-hmm. Napoli, uh, who was Jorginho's understudy in the Regista role. Now, Diawara's potential hasn't been fulfilled. 
But if he gets the Fred role and plays for Fonseca and gets a first team start, this is a potentially excellent ball playing deep line midfielder, like someone that you will see linked to all of the top clubs inside 12 months if, if it starts to go well. Very good player. And Spinazzola, left wing back, Again, another kind of swap deal where Juventus have, have sent Spinazzola to Roma and Roma have sent Luca Pellegrini, who was shone for Italy at the under-20 World Cup this summer, the other way, both left-backs or left-wing-backs. Shakhtar's use of full-backs under Fonseca was superb. They were constantly in the box. We're talking about Marcus Alonso early days. Yeah. Uh, for them, it was Ismaili on the left. And if Spinazzola is, you know, his, his season for Juventus is anything to go by, this is going to suit them really, really well. This is a good swap deal where both parties are very happy. Probably, yeah. The concern is that they don't really have any centre-backs now who are capable of playing Fonseca's high line. Um they need to do... I mean, Manolas was perfect for it, but obviously, clearly, Manolas wanted to leave. So Roma did well to get whatever they could in return. Uh, they now need to buy two centre-halves, like big time. Um, and they're going to have to hope that Diawara can step into the hole that, hey, Daniele De Rossi That's a big, is big leaving. Like, I mean, it's not just a quality gap, it's an emotional gap. Yes, and of course. This is, a, this is a serious, serious concern. But again... All, more, all the more reason to have your eyes glued on Roma this season. In terms of emotional things, I think, you know, you've seen De Rossi leave. Totti's also left the club in, yeah. a, in his advisory role. That's no longer a thing. So behind the scenes, things aren't as rosy as potentially they look on the field. Uh, but I suppose it's a time of transition for Roma and that, that can be an exciting thing as much as a damaging one in terms of those kind of big heads, those forever Romans leaving. Yeah. And one of the stories as well at the moment is that Zaniolo's contract they are trying to renew that I think that's quite a big thing there's been um, Tottenham and a couple of others have been linked with him this summer I think it's important that they keep hold of a player like that that's obviously had this breakout season and the fans have got this kind of emotional attachment to him at a time when you know big stars have left and that that attachment's disappearing a bit Um, they do need to to keep building on that front but then they're also linked um, by Di Marzio to Juventus striker Gonzalo Higuain um, Ed and Dzeko is apparently leaving. Ed and Dzeko is apparently going to Inter Milan, and so that would open that up. I mean, this, this, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how this shakes out. It just doesn't really like make that much sense if Inter Milan, because um, I mean, clearly they want Lukaku, or the talk has been they want Lukaku. They already have a Cardi. I mean, they only play with one striker. Like, how many just strikers? <laughs> and they do you keep want? saying they can't afford Lukaku anyway. Lautaro can play up top as well. I don't. I just I, that that perplexes me to be honest. With you. Like, if Jekyll wants to call time on Roma, fair enough. He's done it. He, he's he's certainly paid his dues there. He'll be very hard to place. I think he's phenomenally underrated across Absolutely. the globe. To be honest with you, so did Christian Vieri when he spoke to us. Yes, on yes, this podcast. Pre- precisely, precisely. In a previous episode, which you should definitely listen to if you haven't. Mm. Um, I don't understand that at all. I'm intrigued to see how that shakes out, and obviously. A player is a player is important as a striker. That could go a long way to shaping exactly what Roma are capable of this season. So we'll be keeping an eye on Roma. Well, that is it for hot takes. We'll be back after the break with Chelsea fan and season ticket holder Clayton Beerman to talk about just how Chelsea can fix their problems this summer. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where we're delighted to be joined by Clayton Beerman, regular on the Chelsea Fancast and their Love Sport radio show, author of the book Palpable Discord, A Year of Drama and Descent at Chelsea, and longtime season ticket holder. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show, Clayton. Thanks very much for inviting me. Looking forward to it. Very much so. So today we're going to be talking about your beloved blues, and I guess the truth is that there's a lot up in the air at at the bridge right now. So you've chosen the five steps you think are the quickest way to fixing the club 
So we're going to throw to you uh, and get this show on the road, really. Okay, so the first thing is the appointment of a new manager. That's uh, fairly obvious. It looks like Frank's done. Everybody's announcing it apart from the club. Um, Lots of jokes yesterday that Derby were going to announce it before Chelsea. (laughs) It's a good appointment. I'm, I'm... 100% 100% behind it, I and mean, I think it's of its time. I think Jody Morris coming along is as important. As assistant, right? So he's been to with be him at his, Derby. It, and... Absolutely, and to integrate the youth, which is something that a lot of fans have been going on about for ages, um, not wholesale, uh, but just to give these guys a chance, not expecting us to... Uh, line up at Old Trafford on the 12th of August with the whole youth, youth team playing. Um, but just just acknowledge that these guys are there and that they can have a chance. And obviously with the transfer ban, I think that I'm not 100% sure whether Frank would be coming in if we didn't have the transfer ban. I don't think Frank Lampard would be the choice if there was a transfer ban in place. It makes obviously quite a lot more sense given the circumstances. But if, if there was no ban in place, I think you'd look a little bit more closely at the fact that he has just one season under his belt in the championship. He showed that he's still got a fair bit to learn but with that connection with Chelsea and the requirements at hand and the limitations in place it start, it's it makes about 60% more sense than it originally would so I still think they could have gone for somebody else to be honest with you I know Dean you did a U-turn on this a few weeks ago you yeah. said it was a great idea I was Obviously, right I understand you're taken with it I still don't really think if you got someone like Javi Gracia and just said play some youth and he agreed to it I still don't see Frank Lampard as a significantly better candidate than someone like Gracia well how, do, how much does Jody Morris affect that then because obviously Gracia could come in and play the youth and that's fine but Jody Morris has brought a lot of this crop through actually so, knows them yeah. yeah and he knows them how much of an impact does that have on, on massive, why these two are massive I, I think it's as important an appointment as frank i think that this season in so far as you will ever get a free hit could be that for frank and jody but ultimately jody morris knows these guys and so comparing him to say javier gracia yes he could bring those players in but he wouldn't have the understanding of what those those the qualities are because obviously a lot of those guys are very skillful, but he's grown up with them. You know, he's had them since they were 12, 13 years old. He knows what makes them tick as people. And therefore, you'd have to think that there is nobody better qualified than him to bring people forward. Under Sarri particularly, there was a huge split between the senior setup and the youth setup. We've seen it reported this week, the fact that Sarri uh, didn't watch a single academy training session in his time at the club. That's just unacceptable at a club like Chelsea that has put so much funding into building up an academy and bringing in on youngsters. Lampard's going to go the other way. There's signs that he's going to immediately bring the academy players in with the senior players so they'll mix more. That's how you have to be as a manager, I think, in in this day and age, especially if you're somebody like Lampard, who is having to really prove yourself. But he has to do that because his Derby record isn't very good, is it, Sam? The big concern for last season in the way that Derby played was their top scorer was Harry Wilson with 16 goals. Most of those were outside the box. They took uh, a lot of shots from outside the box. They didn't get that many touches inside the box. Their XG per shot, expected goals per shot was was pretty poor. Now, I don't want to go all in on this and say like that proves this or that proves that. But when you watch Derby and you just watch them let fly from outside the box, it, it wasn't particularly encouraging, particularly from a player who obviously knew how to get into the box himself. Now, he worked wonders with Mason Mount. 
this Derby side were unbelievably reliant on Mason Mount doing almost everything in the middle third and taking them into the final third. Maybe that's a positive and maybe that means that Mason Mount is going to have an unbelievable breakout season. Or maybe there were just a couple of holes in that coaching philosophy because he hasn't had the chance to iron them out yet because he's had one season. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions. Um, but just based on the, you know, if you took out the emotion, you took out Lampard, you say this guy's not qualified for it. But you add in those extra elements and you can understand where you're coming from. Let's move things on to, to number four, shall we? Yeah. So the next uh, ranking point is, for me, is signing Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think that's absolutely crucial because I think if he leaves, it sends out a huge message. Now, I think the message would have been greater had Frank and Jody not been coming in. For example, we were terrified that if he left under the last manager, what was it going to say to anybody else that they were trying to attract? I mean, he got so little game time last year. He started off the season in pre-season friendly. He absolutely ripped a Hector Bellerin, played in the charity shield, played okay, and then we didn't see him again. And it wasn't as if we were creating a lot of chances. It wasn't as if there was somebody startlingly brilliant in his position. Um, William and Pedro are both fantastic players, but they're maddeningly inconsistent. Mm. Um, And Sarri came up and said, well, I've got Hazard, I've got William, I've got Pedro. Something will have to happen to one of these for Callum to get a chance. And you just think, no, it shouldn't really work like that. And, And then he came out and when Callum made his debut for England before he did for Chelsea which was somewhat embarrassing um, <laughs> when he was asked how what he thought he said I didn't watch it <laughs> so I think Callum's a big part of what's going to happen in the first couple of months I mean obviously he's injured but the word is that he's actually coming back quicker than um, they thought which is great if we can get him nailed down uh, talk about him getting Hazard shirt the number 10 shirt to make him feel even more special he's a Chelsea lad Chelsea fan It'd be dreadful if he left. So I I think that's a a huge thing to tie down really early on. So the context here is that he's he's now into the final year of his deal. That's correct. As of July 1st, he has fewer than 12 months left. So we are officially in alarming territory. Danger season. In Arsenal territory. (laughs) He has a lot of power in these contract negotiations. Now, not saying that he's necessarily going to leverage that for an incredible wage or anything else, but officially quite easy for him to just leave if he wants to, or or it it certainly will be in January. And Chelsea are just going to have to make the appropriate promises to Sir Hudson-Odoi because he's not quite a generational talent, but pretty close to it and why you wouldn't lock this guy down and promise him a first team role for the next five years is absolutely beyond me. Dean how are these contract negotiations going? Yeah I mean they already are doing all those things that Sam's talking about I mean the negotiations are are far down the line now and it wouldn't surprise me if almost straight on the back of Lampard's announcement that they do come out with something on Hudson-Odoi. Everything I'm told is that they're far more confident now that that this is almost done, if you like. They're just trying to tie down the actual terms of the agreement. I think that the injuries obviously worked in their favour. Bayern Munich are the team that have shown most interest. Are they going to sign a player for that much money who's coming straight on the back of an injury? There's a lot of expectations around quite a young player, given in the 10 shirt immediately on the back of Eden Hazard leaving. Do you worry that that's a lot of pressure on young shoulders? Completely. And I do think that some of the times that he came on last season, you could tell that because people were expecting, because he seems to be like the magic wand, bring him on and everything will happen. Well, it didn't and it, it won't. But this is a talent. You can just see that it's a talent. You can see that he can do things. And he's very young and he's got 
so little game time. What's in at number three? So what's in at number three is working out who stays, who goes, who's loaned and or loaned out and who's sold. We could be here a while. This is a which, 15 man job. <laughs> which which I will keep very, very brief because so the the main people that have been out on loan are Kurt Zuma, um Timo Bakioko and Matt Batchwai. Um we've also got the lesser spotted Danny Drinkwater. Um <laughs> If Chelsea had a transfer window and brought in those four players, I think personally I'd be really underwhelmed because yeah. I don't think there's anybody there that that sets the world on fire. But I think Kurt Zuma is a really good player. He, he had a terrible injury, but we're actually quite well suited at centre-half. I know Gary Cahill's now gone, but I do actually think that there is a place for Zuma. He had a great season last season. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant. You've got to build on that and give him that, give him that, uh, that role. I think so. I think before he got injured... You could see he was something special. He was, you know, he was powerful. He was fast. We haven't got a huge amount of pay. But we've got Rudiger, who's going to be injured for the first part of the season. Um, Christensen and Louise, you know, both both good. Um, and we've got Tamori. Now, I think Tamori will come on to, but I think he may go out on loan again. Um, Premier League club, hopefully, this time. Yeah. Um, Bakayoko well-documented that he had an absolute nightmare season um, and any genuine fan actually felt sorry for him. We felt frustrated because we had a player who obviously everything he was trying was getting worse. The more, the harder he tried, the worse he got. He had, I understand, a good season at AC Milan, not yeah. fantastic. Before but he fell out with a coach, I think he was doing really well. Yeah. Who, how funny, you could, who could fall out with Gattuso? I mean, that's just, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then we got the complete enigma that's Batshuayi. I mean, we don't get it. He's never been given a chance. Every time he comes on, he scores. He's got an amazing goals-to-game ratio. The story is that he doesn't take instruction well. So once he goes over the white line, he does what he wants to do rather than what he's actually been told to do. But the fact is that this is a poacher. This is a guy that scores goals everywhere he's been. Danny Drinkwater's a strange one because he was basically bought, I understand, and Conte found him on the doorstep. But this is a guy who played with Kante and was completely frozen out by our previous manager. Who... You don't name him, do you? You've no, I don't. third or fourth time now yeah. you've decided to call him our previous manager. Well, he is our previous manager. He, yeah, I mean, he that is... is now done. That, that, is, yeah. a that, that is a factual comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I, I had issues and I'm trying to temper those okay. issues. Yeah. Um, it's a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah, it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> anyway. I, I, want to, I want to ask you about Ampadu. Yeah, he should feature. Ampadu can play at centre-half, he played at full-back and he can play a DM. Yeah. And he's got something which I think Chelsea have lacked over the last season, couple of seasons, is somebody who'll put their foot in. Sam, of those players, who's featuring the most for you? I'd like to see Mason Mount given at least a rotational role in midfield and uh, maybe drip feed him in, but see what he can do. I think you should try Tammy Abraham. I think Rhys James should as well. I'm undecided on Ampadu, potentially because I want to see Zuma there, which leaves Drinkwater on the outside looking in um, as a potential sale for me. We are... Chock a block in midfield. Mm. We've got lots of options in midfield, and I think one of the interesting things about what's to come is how we're going to play. Because shall we come on to the yeah. the next? Well, I was going to say it leads perfect us perfectly, yes. perfectly into number two, which number is two. play Kante where Kante plays best. And where does he play best? I believe he plays best as a defensive midfielder in a two. Not necessarily. He could play on his own behind or two. See, we've we've had this discussion more than once, and we've 
decided very rarely have we seen N'Golo Kante play as a defensive pivot by himself. It wasn't his job. It's no, never it been his job because you can't have a defensive pivot that just disrupts. It doesn't make sense. You have to have someone that sits and yeah. gets the ball and recycles. So the potential point that, that needs to be made here is that we think Lampard will revert to a two in midfield. We think either he goes flat 4-4-2, but I think it's probably more likely that he goes 4-2-3-1. And if that happens, then Kante goes back to that role. And you're brilliant. Kovacic and Kante as a, as a two-man midfield will be absolutely fine, if not very good. I never want to see Kante play as the deepest in a midfield three where he is the sole pivot ever again. Because I think it, I don't think it gets the best out of him. I don't think you want a player like Kante clocking up as many touches of the ball as you get in that area. Uh, I think you want him off the ball a little bit more, a little bit higher up and allowed to run up and down. We're both in agreement that your previous manager did not use him to his full extent. Um, But I really want to see Kante return to a two-man midfield with a partner as a screening and box-to-box role because he can do all of it. When Leicester won the league that season, you think how high up the field Kante would be winning the ball back. Exactly. And Drinkwater sat. Absolutely. That was what was so key about it. Maybe Drinkwater can even come back in if if that's going to be one way to make it work because those two already have an understanding there. And he does... He does totally get the strengths of Kante and that he's just as good at winning the ball back, you know, in the last third as he's the first. Where does this leave Jorginho? Because I don't think Jorginho can play in a two with Kante. That doesn't work. Well, Sarri was, I mean, he said a lot of things, several things that he should never say in a press conference, really. But he basically said that, didn't he? He said Jorginho can't play in a two-man midfield. Is there a future for Jorginho at the club? Well, this is sort of going back to... I don't know how we're going to play in midfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not trying to avoid the question. I just don't know the answer. I think the thing is, is that Jorginho, I had a lot of respect for Jorginho. I wouldn't necessarily say I would have played him all the games, but he got better as the season went on. Now, whether he got better because he was being more adaptable to what was happening, getting more used to the Premier League, I don't know. But what I do know is he had a, a, a decent start. He had a really poor middle, but he had a really, really strong finish. So when people are talking about selling him and getting rid of him I don't think so I think there is a player there and I think with a lot of players and and going back to Ross Barkley I think that the previous manager had had put so many players in straitjackets that they couldn't do certain things you'd watch Ross Barkley play and you think I know that you're a good marauding midfield player and yet you're doing these tiny little passes and giving the ball away when you'd rather just pick it up and run with it Kovacic was the same Kovacic was exactly the same. People this week have, have just come out and said, what on earth are we doing buying Kovacic? I think it's a good move. He's a class player. Kovacic always played well whenever Jorginho wasn't playing. Because he took he played his role. Correct. Yeah. And, and the thing is that if you have Kovacic and Jorginho in that midfield, you have got precisely no goals. Mm-hmm. And that is something that has been a huge problem, is the fact that we don't score any goals from midfield. Ironically... Uh, after after, after Frank left that that, it just dried up which is fine when you've got strikers but when you haven't got strikers it's a a bit of a problem yeah well I suppose again that segs us nicely onto the final point which is you know where is the firepower coming from again well, this this is the main thing. We've we've obviously lost um, one of the best players in the world, which is a great shame. But most Chelsea fans are just very grateful for seven fantastic years. It's obviously going to hurt next year when we see uh, him playing at Real Madrid. But but so be it. So the thing is, is what are we going to do up front? So we're talking about Tammy Abraham. He's not been given a chance 
previously. I know that he played at Swansea in the year they went down and then got injured, so you can't really judge him that. Tammy Abrahams is the sort of player that we haven't got. Every single goal that Tammy Abrahams scores is in the six-yard box. That's why we talked about, and, and it's questionable whether that will happen. Giroud is a great player, but is he a 38-games-season player? No, he's not. He's a good link-up man, so you need somebody else to be playing with him. Pulisic is really interesting yeah, because there's this naivety that people are thinking, oh, he's just going to walk in, he's going to be Hazard. Well, he's not going to be Hazard. He's a different player to Hazard, but he is a very skillful player and he will create stuff. And the other thing I think that's good about Pulisic, I know all the dynamics of research, but the Premier League won't have seen him up close. So I think for the first, certainly first part of the season, we're going to have that advantage as well. There is the Morata, which is which is what? (laughs) Well, I mean, they can recall it, you know. Unless if Atleti don't take up the option, the option is there for them to to complete the signing. Now they've had him on loan; it was an eighteen month loan, wasn't it? But with um, the thing to buy him, and Chelsea want that to like happen now. Basically, they want to take up the option now, buy him, so then they can move on from it. Well, if that's not going to happen, then there's got to be an argument for bring Morata back. Now, I know that Morata recently said he didn't feel he got enough respect when he was in England, and I think that that was English football as a whole, and also Chelsea fans. I don't think he felt supported him in his times of need as much as they could have. If Frank Lampard comes out to the Chelsea fans and says, we're bringing Morata back because we believe in him and we think he's going to be you know, a man for us this season, people will be like, all right. Fine. So they might not like it to begin with as, a, as an idea, but they'll be like, fine, Frank says this and fine, we'll, we'll get on with it. I do find it interesting that you might end up with uh, a, a strike force of Giroud, Morata and Sammy Abraham, all three of which are excellent at headed goals, which would be an incredible departure from last year where I believe you just literally weren't allowed to cross. It could be quite a different looking striking core if the approach in midfield and in terms of creation matches it and complements it we might just see these you players could have that. actually look with better. With Pulisic coming in now as well, if with Hudson Odoi once he's fit again, like you will have that ammunition there, and that's why I feel that just change the game up a bit. And Lampard yeah. probably will be more open to crossing. He will be. He will revert back a bit more to old school Chelsea. And I think I think it could just be a really good option, especially for this one season. Let's finish this a little bit with Pulisic. And yeah. like you say, one of the big questions is where he plays. Yeah. I'm interested because I think his best position is in a 10. Why? Behind a striker because it gives him the ability to, to use his movement, which you don't get as much on the flanks, unless you are someone of Eden Hazard's calibre. And, and while Pulisic is a wonderful player there are very few players in the world that are of Eden Hazard's caliber I think that brings the best I just out think he could get lost more I think there's more chance of him getting lost in a 10 whereas he's uh, played this role for the USA yes uh, yeah. but it's not necessarily because that's his best role it might just be a de facto you are our best player exactly. get in the middle and dictate things yeah so we're coming from a position of he's done it He's done it very well in the CONCACAF standards. I haven't seen him do it for Dortmund. That doesn't mean he has never done it, but obviously he's done. He spent most of his time on the wing. Given that he is a high-pressure signing, he's cost a lot of money, and people are already doubting him. People are already pouring scorn over this transfer and have been since January. I would be tempted to put him on the wing to start with. Well, who's going to play in the 10? Mason Mount? Yeah, I'll take Mount. You'd start Mount ahead of Pulisic in the 10? <laughs> well, as long as Pulisic is on the wing. Clayton, where would you play him as a, as a final thought? I think to start off with, perhaps on the wing, because you just going back to the, the crossing thing. I mean, Morata scored one headed goal and another goal swept in uh, in, the, in the cup, yeah. and it was Hudson Odoi that crossed the ball in. Mm. So yes, I do think that 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 could work. Talking about number, as well, number tens, I think the the other person who could play number ten, William. 
Yeah. And I think he suffers in the same way as I mentioned with Pedro, that he's in and out and in and out and he can't really establish himself. I think he gets frustrated. Well, I think that's pretty much us wrapped up for the main rankings. So a massive thank you to Clayton for his expertise and knowledge on Chelsea. Where can our listeners find you online? I'm on Twitter at Goalie59. So we've got an exclusive interview with big Chelsea fan and NBA star for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Larry Nance Jr. coming up, as well as Roulette and Nonsense. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. And just before we get on to roulette and nonsense, we have a very special exclusive interview. A few weeks ago, Dean and I had a chat with Cleveland Cavaliers power forward Larry Nance Jr., who happens to be a massive Chelsea fan. And we got him to rank his personal favourite three Chelsea players of all time. Yes, thank you guys for having me on. I'm uh, quite the avid football fan. What did get you into the sport, I suppose, it is the, the obvious place to start. What, what made you fall in love with football? You know, and what, where does that kind of come from? So I, I grew up, even before I started playing basketball, I played, uh, I played football, soccer. So I've just always been a fan of the game and, and, and uh, really, but really, really started getting into it in, in, in later high school is when I really started to pay attention to the, to the international game and, and uh, just how beautiful of a, of a sport it is. Excellent. And, and sort of why Chelsea? You know, Dean and I are both Fulham fans, so it, uh, it always does pain us to hear a Chelsea fan on the other end of the line. But, but what made you fall in love with the Blues? <laughs> well, first of all, I do apologize for, uh, you know, for, for, your, for your club's misfortune. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank but, you. Uh, no, for me, it started, it started with, I, I really started loving Chelsea with, and it sounds weird, but Samuel Eto'o, you know, so the the 2010 World Cup in, in Cameroon, to me, that was the best team to watch. I loved them. And so, um, obviously, he was an absolute, he was a stud for that team. And so, it just so, it just yeah. so happened and transpired that when I, when, when I got, back into, got back into soccer, he was on Chelsea. And so, he, it, we just picked right up there. And he, I would always, in FIFA, I would always sub him in for my striker. And, you know, he was just, uh, Samuel Eto'o is what really got me into really got me into soccer. It's funny because there won't be too many Chelsea fans out there that would have Samuel Esso down as one of their favourite Chelsea players. But I guess for you, it comes deeper than that. And it's appreciating everything the man was capable of. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Chelsea wasn't the historic part of his career, but I just appreciated you know, his Cameroonian team in the, in the World Cup. And I just really loved the way he played. Well, I assume that he would be one of your top three of all time then. I assume he's probably in at number three, is he, Larry? Yes, he's my, he's my, uh, yes, absolutely. He's, he's one of my favorites of all time, easily, without a question. I always remember that walking stick celebration that he did at Chelsea and those kind of iconic moments where he was part of what was a really, really good Chelsea team. And I, I guess that part of that legacy is that when he, you know, when he moved away from it, that team wasn't actually as good afterwards. And his impact kind of was maybe a little bit better in retrospect. People were like, actually, he was really good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think his, I think his legacy at Chelsea was actually bigger than more people realize it was because you never want to say it was him that really that 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 made the huge difference and and you know made us made us take a take a jump. But when he left, like you said, or we did, we weren't as good. So who's in at number two, Larry? So my number two, um, we've got to be a close friend of mine, uh, Thibaut Courtois. Now, I know it's again not a. Not a popular pick for most Chelsea supporters, but you know he he, he supported. Uh, he's came to come to a couple of my games over here in the states, and uh, you know, we 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 communicate communicate quite frequently. So. Um, he's got to be my number two, my number two favorite Chelsea guy. As a, as a, a basketball player, I mean, when you are watching football, do you are you more familiar and able to put yourself in the shoes of a goalkeeper than you are an outfield player, or is it vice versa? Is there is there any similarities? 
So that was actually the reason that I stopped playing football is because when I got so tall, he just tried to stick me in goal. And I had no interest in being a goalkeeper. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I prefer to watch. I prefer to watch a, an outfield, more like a midfield type player. But um, yeah, if I if I were to translate basketball to, to to football, I would definitely be a goalkeeper. I saw that Thibaut Courtois gave you a tour of the of the Chelsea grounds when when you were over here. You know, what what was that experience like, and how does it kind of you know, as a, an elite sports person going into a different training facility that obviously works different kind of things? How, how different is it, and and how you know did you react to, to that kind of you know to Cobham itself? I guess uh, it was it was very different. You know, obviously, you know, being there with being there with Thibaut and everything was cool, but. It was very different. Obviously, we as as basketball players, we work a whole lot on our like leaping athleticism, jump, getting off the ground for rebounds and blocking shots and dunking and all that stuff. And that's a very small part of the game in football. And so, you know, just uh, the facilities they had and the training equipment they used, it was um, it was quite different to see how this this you know how this sport trains. Yeah, of course. In terms of becoming friends with other other sports people, and obviously now Tibor is someone you can you can t- consider a friend. You know how how does that relate? You know, obviously you see people. We always see people in the crowds for for different sports. We always see you know Neymar at you know at basketball games, or or people come over to watch PSG or, or Chelsea. Is there that kind of natural reaction between sports people? Because you know you're on that kind of elite level that you can say, look, I know what you're going through on a daily basis, almost. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Anybody uh, anybody that plays a professional sport just knows how uh, knows how tough it is to get there, and how much effort and how much work and preparation it. Takes takes to be at the highest level of your game. And so when you get to meet a another another high tier elite uh, sports person, you get you it's just an automatic level of appreciation for for uh you know because you understand what they're going through. They always say that you know you can people learn different things and I remember famously Johan Cruyff said that he learned quite a lot of his football techniques from playing baseball and how you know people de- react to different situations in different games is there an element of that do you, do you ever speak about the different elements of the game with each other and learn things from from different sports is that kind of cross communication Absolutely so uh like I said I grew up you know, I grew up playing football and so one of my best attributes as a as an NBA player is my foot speed and and quickness and and um you know footwork how I can how I can maneuver around the court and so uh I credit that completely to playing soccer growing up I mean that's the 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 footwork the uh, maneuvering and stuff you need to play that translates quite well to basketball. So uh, for me, that's just a very easy fit. Nice. Well, let's talk about your number one. I have an idea who this might be, but uh, who have you picked as your number one Chelsea player? As my number one Chelsea player, I have got uh, the man himself, Eden Hazard. What is it about him that, that does it for you? I mean, what what isn't it? You know, he's he's just so technically skilled and <laughs> and the way he carries himself off off the pitch. You know, he's just been he's just been world class. I mean, he's he's one of the best players in the world and um obviously he's got a he's got a impending decision to make, but you know, wherever he goes, I'll be I'll be a fan of his individually. You know, you see those players who light up the pitch like Hazard, you know, in the way that maybe Messi does and and you watch them and is there kind of an element of resignation that you're like he is probably in the best you know the best players in the world he's very much near that category of, of the very 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 best is there a kind of element of once we you know if he leaves Chelsea it's going to be bad for for Chelsea in terms of losing such an elite player but good for his career do you, you can you can you feel that as as an athlete yourself you know that you have to sometimes you have to make a difficult decision to step up 
Uh, absolutely. You know, any athlete can, can understand if you need to make a jump or may or leave somewhere for the betterment of your career. But, um, you know, obviously as a Chelsea supporter, I want him to stay very badly, but, um, again, as an athlete and as a, as a, you know, as a, as a fan of his game, um, if he feels that a move would make him, would take him to the next level in, in terms of terms of his game or, or in terms of his career and goals, then yeah, you know, I, I totally understand that and would have, and respect his decision. But um, you know, with Chelsea, obviously, anytime you lose, you know, like I'm in Cleveland, so we're going through the same thing. We lost LeBron, so we're having a hard time coming back from that. So um, if we're, whereas Chelsea, if they lost a player of, of, of Hazard's quality, it, it would definitely be a hit, but. Um, I'd be pretty excited to see um, to see to see our American Kristen Pulisic step up into that role. Yeah, absolutely. I, that was going to be my kind of final question in terms of how you see Pulisic coming in and and stepping up. Obviously, he's got big boots to fill if Hazard does leave. But you know, either way, he's going to come in and he's an exciting player. He's someone that we're, we're excited to see in the Premier League. But also having that American kind of connection, it, it, you know, are you excited to see him on your on your team? One hundred percent. I mean, the only thing. Uh... The only thing that I'm a little bit bummed about is now that Christian's on Chelsea, Chelsea is going to be America's team. And so I won't have that unique of a fandom. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is very much true. Well, thank you so much, Larry, for coming and joining us and talking all things Chelsea and all things football. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And uh, anytime, I'll be, I'll be around. I love talking good football. Bleacher Roulette, do you want to give us a spin? Which footballer would you want to work alongside to solve a murder case that goes right to the heart of government? <laughs> I mean, it's a very, very detailed one, isn't it? There are plenty of options here. You know. There are. Do you know one off the top of your head? We've talked a lot about Frank Lampard in this podcast. I think he got a C in a GCSE once, so he's counted as an intelligent footballer. The most in- intelligent footballer I can think of like top of my head in terms you don't know all their grades obviously but James Ward-Prowse was a straight A star student at school so you'd imagine he'd have a bit to offer but I feel like maybe you'd want someone a bit more persistent because I think to get to the very top to get to the heart of government to uncover something like this you're going to have to be pretty persistent and I'd say N'Golo Kante is pretty persistent a good answer might be Juan Mata you just tell Juan Mata that someone has done something wrong and he'd be like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't sleep or rest until that thing had been corrected because he's just got a heart of gold. So Juan Mata would actually be my answer. Juan Mata would be a good one, yeah. I feel like there are um, footballers out there, though, with like hidden law degrees that we don't know about. There's a goalkeeper out there somewhere that's got a law degree and I can't remember who it is right now. David James. <laughs> no, it's not David James. So I'd, I'd need to really think about this. So your choice is whichever goalkeeper has a law degree. Right, okay. You don't know which one it is. You don't know which one it is. Yeah, works. cool. Right, okay. Thanks Spin for coming, again. What do you enjoy most about supporting your football team? Camaraderie. Because that's fun, we don't have much else. So I just like, there's only a few of us, and there's only a few people who understand what it's like to support Fulham. Yeah. And even within Fulham's fan base, like, I still feel like it's a bit half and half. Half of them, I'm sure, just come along for the day for, like, have a coffee. But then there's, like, about 10,000, I'd say, Fulham fans that understand how I feel about Fulham. So, like, when you go to an away game, Or there's certain times when you're like, I'm among people that actually get how I feel right now. And I think when you're among that, there's there's just this this feeling that I literally only get when I'm I'm at a Fulham match and and never anywhere else in my life do I have that kind of sense of belonging. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're right. Jack's one of the 10,000. That, that was a sad indictment on your personal life, my friend. <laughs> I don't belong at home. My I wife will tell you that It's one of those things that 
me, for me, like the actual going to away days, it is the absolute pinnacle of what it means to be a fan. For sure. me. Like actually the, like going to the station at like seven in the morning to like check. And I suppose there's plenty of people who never experience this and, and that's not a, you know, an indictment or anything. It's more like you look at it as in, in America, for example, I know that away is very difficult as a traveling thing, especially, yeah. you know, if you're going halfway across the country on a Wednesday night, you know, for us, we can travel up and down because England's not very big. Yep. You know, being able to get on the train at 7am to go to Barnsley away and being surrounded by loads of other fans and, and, and all being on that kind of journey together. For me, that's the kind of pinnacle of supporting a football club. Absolutely. And I can't imagine actually supporting like, Real Madrid from afar, like that being my team, because I just wouldn't get anywhere near the kind of enjoyment that I'm looking for from supporting a team. I feel like everyone, to be honest, should... It's fine to support a big club, but if they don't live near where you, I feel everyone should support a local team as well. Yeah, even as well, well, because then you you get a completely different sense of fulfilment from it than you do watching football on TV. Absolutely, Sam. Um, It's kind of a weird one where. If a player plays for your club and he's very, very good and you form a bond with him you, and you, you kind of, you idolise them, you you celebrate their every action, you love them, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because they're your hero. It's so strange because that person is a complete stranger. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the fact that, that supporting a team can allow me to idolise a player. For uh, So as a kid, maybe growing up and modelling my game on him or as an adult, just hanging off his every move and following him on social media and just 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 worshipping the ground that he walks on. It's so weird that you would get to that point with someone you have literally never met and probably never will do. But football and supporting a team gives you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I it's suppose. really weird. Connections with random. It's really weird. That is true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. No, no, like random you. men at random moments. By the way, I've just remembered the goalkeeper. Oh, yeah? A law degree. Simon Mignolet. Oh. Yeah, oh. he's got a political science degree and a law degree. He is my man. He's a murder case. Excellent. Yep. That's the nonsense siren. It's a good siren. It's a good siren, yeah. Time for nonsense, Sam. What you got for us this week? Uh, this week is the... Look at I'm not looking at your screen. Top, it's too dangerous. It's the top three things a vegan can eat with a Chelsea player comparison for each one. <laughs> in honour of, honor of our esteemed guest and uh, topic for the day. So, honourable mention to the green bean, which is good, but not quite good enough, just like Ross Barkley. We go into number three. Stop looking at my list, Dean. Spinach. If you eat it, you can go grow strong, specifically if it's from a can, just like Ruben Loftus' cheek is. It's also something I've very much come round to over the last few years. Spinach. From a can. Not quite from a can, just a thing. I thought you meant Ruben Loftus cheek was no, from a can. No, no. I was like, that's just a really weird thing to say. So I've very much come round to spinach in the last few years. I feel like non Chelsea fans and the wider populace of football fans have also come round to Ruben Loftus cheek's talents in the same sort of way okay. that they're appreciating his brilliance in the same timeline as I'm starting to like spinach. <laughs> in at number two is the red pepper. Yeah, delicious on its own, dipped in something, cooked as part of a salad, as part of a, part of a fajita, whatever you want. It's, it's a real disservice to vegans on an individual basis. On an individual basis, the red pepper is fantastic, but it also works superbly as part of a team, and it will never ever let you down. So the red pepper is in Golo Canto, <laughs> <laughs> and then number one is mushrooms. I hate mushrooms. Yeah, yeah there you too. go. So there you go. So hey. 
I love mushrooms. I think they're amazing. And I'm continually astounded by the fact that just not that many people like them. So a very quick poll suggests that one in three people in this room likes mushrooms. Which <laughs> that was is very just, convenient for which you. Which is just... It's just wrong. Look at the evidence facing you. Mushrooms are brilliant. And I don't know why you don't like them. I don't know why more people don't like them. I like this mushroom soup. Texture, feel and smell. I well like mushroom soup because the actual taste of mushrooms is well nice. Mm. But like, I can't be chewing something that that has that texture. It makes me feel ill. You don't really need to chew mushrooms that much. They're well well slimy as well. Like, just give me mushroom soup and I'm happy. You know what mushroom soup is made of. Yeah, but like, it's all, then you don't have to (laughs) have the texture. It's It's got bits of mushroom. No, 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 no. Whoa, this is a smooth mushroom soup. We ain't having any bits in this. This is, you know, we're not having any of your sort of half mashed mushroom yeah, soup. This is what off. do you think I do to my soup? <laughs> I don't Actually, know. do you think Factory I eat soup? made. Yeah, good point. Factory made mushrooms. Listen, mushrooms are brilliant. Not enough people agree, and that astounds me. And that reminds me of Antonio Rudiger. He is excellent. He had an excellent season, and so many Chelsea fans just aren't that sold on him. And I don't understand where you're. Our mushrooms from, good at bouncing back from injury because that's what he needs to do. They're very durable. <laughs> very durable. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Sam, for that. That is us all wrapped up for this week. Apart from the fact that we've got an announcement to make, Dean. Throwing to you. Well. We've been threatening to go abroad for a, a little while now, haven't we? We've been um, we trying have. to convince people to let us out of this little studio. And they've agreed. We've been here, by the way. Yeah, they've agreed to let us out. So we're going to America. We are. Um, little trip to Chicago and New York on the cards for the Rank Squad, who will be known as the Yank Squad, um, <laughs> for two weeks only. Um, 15th of July, we fly to Chicago. 15th of July. Even don't the tell them which flight, because we don't want anyone else on it. We're going to try and enjoy ourselves on <laughs> that private flight. private jet. <laughs> it's a private jet. Leaving London, landing in Chicago. We might be letting people know of a couple of things that go on while we're away. So um, watch keep this. Keep your space. eyes on our Instagram stories and... Um, Come see us. Yeah, definitely. Come and say hello if you live in either of those two cities. We will let you know some dates. We haven't, we haven't given the proper dates yet. We've got, we've got we're in Chicago from the 15th to 21st July, and we're in New York from the 22nd to the 28th of July. So come and say hello to us while Good. we're there. Hashtag right. Yank Squad. Hashtag Yank Squad, yes. Thank you very much to Sam Tai. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you to Dean Jones. Thanks, mate. Thank you to our very special guest, Clayton Beerman, who joined us today to talk. Is he coming to America? Chelsea. He's not, I'm afraid, on the plane. We have only got three spaces on the plane and we filled them. We so, filled them. So, so that's we it. all got the call up. We all did get the call up. I've been Jack Collins. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Remember to get involved in all things pod using the hashtag BRFootballRanks. Get the three of us on Instagram or Twitter. Loads of pod content there. And if you haven't already, make sure you've downloaded the BR app for the best sports and culture content please keep sharing the pod please keep telling your friends if you live in chicago or new york come out and see us come out and play peace